for me personally, I just, I really love making the show. I love talking to the people that I get to talk to to do this. I always joke to people, I found a way to get paid to take people out to brunch and record it, which seems like an incredible scam. So I'm gonna do it as long as, as long as they let me do it. Welcome to Podcasting in Real Life, the Buzzsprout show where we dive into the real-life stories of podcasters in the middle of their podcasting journey. I'm your host, Travis Albritton, head of content at Buzzsprout. And you won't hear anyone famous on these podcast episodes. Instead, you'll hear everyday podcasters just like you share personal stories about how podcasting has impacted them and the things that they've learned along the way. And in today's conversation, I got to sit down with the host of With a Side of Knowledge, Ted Fox. And with the side of knowledge is a little bit different than your normal podcast because it is one of the Notre Dame University. Yes, that Notre Dame, one of their podcasts. And so we talk a little bit about the dynamic of creating content that represents your employer and a school and a brand while also trying to be creative at the same time. Ted actually records his interviews in a very public place Kind of the whole idea behind the podcast is you're grabbing brunch, you know, sitting across from somebody who is a thinker, who is an expert in their field and just picking their brain. So he talks about like some of the quirks that come along with recording in a public place like that and why very early on he decided, you know what, we're not going to record you actually eating brunch. We're just going <laughs> to we're just going to pretend we're going to say we're at brunch and we're about to get food when we do this interview. But he has a very unique and I think important thing to offer each of us, which is he is a really great communicator and a really great interviewer. He shares how that goes all the way back to, you know, when he was helping with his his school radio station back in college, and I believe even before that, just share some really great interview tips for how to get the most out of your guest, how to help them feel comfortable, and to, you know, really put them at ease. But when Ted started his podcast, he had to convince his boss first to let him start it. And his boss eventually signed on, even though he didn't even really know what a podcast was. Well, it started in a, in a long, long time ago in a galaxy far away when I was a student at Notre Dame and I was really involved in student radio and sports broadcasting. So I did play-by-play for the football team and the basketball team when I was a student at Notre Dame. And when I left, I intended to pursue a career in broadcasting. And for various reasons, I elected to go to a different, a different way after a few years. I've always loved radio. I've loved broadcast. And of course, podcasts in the last several years have really exploded. And I've been working in communications at Notre Dame for 15 years now. And so probably it's about two years ago this summer, I kind of had the idea that I took to my boss as a proposal saying, hey, there's a lot of activity in this space. I think it's really ripe for universities to do something because I don't know that as universities, we're always the most forward thinking in terms of new media and things like that. And a lot of credit to him. I came up with a proposal for the show. I did some metrics on just how many people at that point, two years ago, were listening to podcasts. And he thought the idea sounded cool and said, yeah, go ahead and try it. So I, it's a combination of my own past experience and passions, along with fortunately having someone I work for being open to trying something different, even as by his own admission. Yeah, I don't completely get the podcast thing, but it seems to be good. It seems to be the way the world's going. So yeah, Godspeed, go ahead and try it. So it's been pretty, been pretty cool. And when you first launched it, what were some of the early obstacles or hurdles you had to overcome to kind of get it going? Because I imagine when your podcast isn't just like a like a side hustle passion that you have when you get home from work, but now you're actually like using 
university funds to purchase equipment and different things like that. Like there's some there's some extra steps you got to go through. So I'm curious what were what were some of those early obstacles that you had to work through to to make the podcast happen? I tried to be as strategic as I could before I started trying to anticipate something. So I I mean I think I had a little bit of a background even though it was a really different audio environment in the 2000s, just an idea of what working with audio would entail and understanding I'm a I'm a 30 hour week per week employee at the university. I'm home with my kids in the afternoons and no one was saying to me, Ted, this is going to be your job now. So it had to fit into everything else I was doing. So one of the things I was concerned about was I wanted to have a good hook for an interview show that wasn't, I mean, there's a millions of, not millions, but there's a lot of interview shows out there and was trying to think of a way to make mine stand out and had this idea to do these interviews over brunch and Part of it was wanting a hook, and part of it was knowing that, well, I don't know that I'm going to be able to get people that I want to feature into a studio all the time. I don't know how much voice work I'm going to be able to do in post, all those sorts of things. So if I take this show and turn that and use it towards my advantage and record in an ambient environment and set an expectation for my listener up front, hey, there's background noise because we literally record this in a restaurant. Now I only have to figure out how to go to a quiet space to do my voiceover at the beginning. And that seemed a lot more manageable. And, you know, I also knew that I wasn't going to have the time to do like a narrative show because I knew all the editing that would go into that. I needed to do an interview show. So that was another thing I was consciously thinking of. Like I, I love narrative podcasts and I love listening to them, but I also know from both working in TV and radio, they are a ton of work to put one of those together. So it was like, so there's going to be an interview show. I'm going to record it with ambient noise because I think I can make, kind of this hook like, okay, I'm doing something different when I'm interviewing these people. The biggest like on the ground challenge from that concept was I really had this grand vision when I started of we are literally going to be eating brunch while we do this show. And, you know, I'm going to ask a question and the person's going to stop chewing and they're going to talk to me. And I think it was within like two minutes of the first episode I sat down to do. It was like, this feels really awkward to try and ask you to talk while we're eating. So why don't we sit at the table? We'll order our food at some point during the episode. And we usually end up, we wrap up around the time the food arrives. So it's like, we're there for brunch. You can sometimes hear me pouring coffee in the background from like a carafe. But I kind of abandoned that idea of let's literally do this while we're eating because it clearly felt like it was going to be a really bad idea really quickly. Well, that was good intuition. Yeah, I can't think of many people, unless you're watching an ASMR video, that are like, oh, I want to hear mouth sounds. I want to hear I want to hear someone chewing on a waffle, you know? Exactly. <laughs> no, and that was when people were looking at me like, well, wait, are they going to hear me chewing? No, 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 we don't do that. We don't do that. I thought I was going to do that, but we don't do that. I wouldn't do that to you. I mean, I would, but then I realized it was a bad idea. <laughs> you want them to have a positive experience in your podcast. I think that's very, very good of you to look out for your guests in that way. One thing that you mentioned that I want to talk about a little bit is that you do kind of make the setting of the interview almost like a character of the podcast, right? That you're leaning into it, you're using your disadvantages to to set you apart, that you don't have a fancy studio to record in, so you're just going to lean all the way into that. Talk about the, the reception that that has gotten for you, because I imagine as a podcaster, my intuition and the thing that I want is, oh, I want to make it sound as great as possible. And so I can feel really insecure when like my dog starts barking. Or the lawnmower across the street, I'm like, oh, I think I can pick that up. I probably have to scrap the last 20 minutes. I just need to redo it when he stops mowing his lawn. But but you've really leaned into the messiness and the real-lifeness of the setting. 
even leaning into it in the parts that don't sound that way, my high-tech recording studio for my voiceover at the beginning is my wife's walk-in closet with my computer and my Yeti set on top of two empty diaper boxes on top of a tray table. That's where I record all my voiceovers, and we have two dogs, so it's always, all right, guys, everyone just keep it together for three minutes. And I, you know, I should say, anyone listening to this, Notre Dame clearly does have some really nice facilities here. I mean, we have Notre Dame Studios, which does great work, and there's actually another podcast on campus that goes more that, that traditional route. But, I mean, your question's a good one because, you know, I'm happy to admit it was one of my most creative insights about how I wanted to do the show to do it that way. It continues to be my biggest insecurity about it because as a podcaster, you listen to it at times. And, again, having a boss who admittedly doesn't have a lot of background in podcasting, he's been the only person who's ever said to me, do you want to get fancier equipment or all these different things? All the feedback I've ever gotten from anyone. And it's funny, just before I came to this interview, I did an episode with the two women who host the Undiscovered podcast for Science Friday, which is a great podcast, by the way, if you like science. And I did an episode with them in Brooklyn at a cafe, which was even louder than I normally do. And I just got an email before I walked in here. One of the hosts is going to present at a science conference on a panel, something like, so you want to host a podcast. And she asked me to send her a picture of my setup because she said we really you know want to emphasize to people you don't need a fancy studio to do these things and they were two people in particular who told me like we really like the way this sounds we like that it sounds different we like that you know I mean that that place was definitely kind of an exception because like the espresso machine I think was in overdrive that day when we were recording there and normally I'm fortunate not my first season, the second season, a restaurant on campus in our hotel decided to start supporting the show. So they they cover our meals. And I can usually time it there where it's usually pretty quiet. I tried to avoid the breakfast rush and tried the lunch rush. But I definitely have the story of a faculty member here looking at me at one point and going, yeah, I really think I lost it there like five minutes ago. Did you hear how loud that guy was laughing in the background? I couldn't concentrate on anything but the laugh. I said, yeah, I know it was pretty loud. So I have kind of this weird duality of I really like that about the show. It's really practical for me in terms of the way I produce it. It ties into the name of the show. It's why I call it what I do. It's the hook of the show, you know, this podcast over brunch, which I think can pique people's interest. At the same time, while existing, like my wife has heard way too many times me being like, ah, I don't I don't know if this sounds good enough there. And I listen to a lot of podcasts. She listens to more than I do. And she's always she's kind of my North Star. She's like, it's fine. Like, I've listened to live shows. I've listened to everything. Like, your people know what you're doing here. It works fine. So I like that about the show. But yeah, I mean, catch me on the right day. I'm sitting there kind of gnashing my teeth like, uh, I don't know. Maybe I, maybe I do need this mixer or maybe, you know, whatever. So yeah, it's an ongoing process with myself. I feel like the equipment or the environment or the setting, like those are the easy things to to get insecure about because they're the things that are outside of our control for the most part, instead of saying, well, how can I just be more engaging as a host? How can I ask better questions? How, do, how can I get better stories? Because that's why people listen to your podcast. It's not because you have a studio. It's because you you know are able to have these laid back conversations about topics that aren't normally you know talked about in that way. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because one of the other ideas, in addition to kind of practical concerns and wanting to make it make it stand out. One of the other reasons I like doing it in this way is that I've been fortunate to have what I think are really good guests. And 
always tell people when they ask me, you know, who's your guest pool? Is it just people from Notre Dame? And I try to keep my guests from Notre Dame to about 25 to 30 percent of my guests. Most of them are people who are visiting the university. And sometimes you're dealing with someone who has a lot of experience with a microphone or being interviewed and they're totally comfortable. But other times you're dealing with people who it's the first time they've done something like this or they've only done it a couple times. If it's someone visiting the university, we've never met before. And one thing that I really like about doing it over a meal that way in a restaurant is it immediately reinforces that I'm going for that informal vibe that you don't have to approach this like you're talking to someone else in your discipline. Like, I really just want to have an informal conversation with you. And sometimes it's things that seem immediately relatable. Like I I had someone from Hamilton on and talking about Hamilton and musicals is really easy to have an informal conversation about. And then I had someone else about the role of probability in physics. And like, I think half of the answers, I just kind of nodded my head and was like, oh, the multiverse, is that like this? No, it's not like that, Ted. Let me explain it to you. And having that ability to sit down with someone I think there is something about, you know, to borrow that old phrase, breaking bread with someone that immediately puts it in kind of a a comfortable space and maybe eases them into it a little bit more and what what I'm trying to go for. Because I really am trying to do a show that even though I have people who are specialists in very particular fields, I want anyone to be able to sit down and listen to it and think, well, that was interesting. I, I didn't know that. Or... I could stand to learn more about that because this person was a a, a compelling conveyor of information about it. And I feel like doing it in a restaurant really helps with that. Well, and are there certain things that you try to do to put your guests at ease or help them feel comfortable? Or what does the pre-interview conversation sound like? I'm just curious because I have an engineering background, so I've been to plenty of those seminars where it's like, you can throw a slide up with words on it, but it doesn't mean that anyone knows what you're talking about. So I'm curious, like how you how you coax your guests to really get to the meat of what they have a, an expertise in, but being able to communicate it and kind of flesh it out in a way that's more accessible. Do you have any any tricks or things that you, you kind of have running in the back of your mind to try and try and make that happen? There's a couple things I really try to do, one of which I don't know if any of your listeners have listened to a really good resource on this is a show called The Turnaround. It was created by Jesse Thorne, and it was like a 14-episode series, and it's all interviewers interviewing interviewers about interviewing. So it's kind of like podcasters interviewing podcasters about podcasting, but these are, I mean, it's Ira Glass, it's Terry Gross. I just listened to an episode with Susan Orlean from The New Yorker, and I turns out one of the things I do flies directly in the face of what she does, but she talked about kind of going into these interviews not overly researched in the person that they're sitting down with. For me, I really try to, one, have as much of an understanding about what we're going to talk about going in beforehand. So probably the most ready examples are if I'm talking to a novelist, and I've had the good fortune, I had a Pulitzer winner on the show, I had a Man Booker winner on the show, I read the novels that they wrote that won those prizes, and that informed my questions that I wanted to ask. Some people, it doesn't take nearly as much preparation as reading a book. It's just going and kind of, okay, what are their research interests? What have they worked on? And so I try to get kind of a general lay of the land of the topics we want to talk about. And then in terms of, I do plan out my questions beforehand. I I say that with the caveat of you have to be willing to deviate from the plan ahead of time. I like having an outline so I know these are the things I think I want to ask you, but if you're giving me a really compelling answer 
to question three, I'm going to come with a follow-up to that as opposed to what I had scripted as question four. I just like having that grounding and I go in and I really just try to think about, I try to take the approach that I've heard a lot of prominent interviewers talking about when they interview people who get interviewed a lot, which is I want to ask them something that they haven't been asked a hundred times already. And most of the people I'm interviewing haven't been asked these things a hundred times already, but I still think the most interesting questions come about when you think about trying to ask people things that maybe isn't something they would expect to be asked about their book, or maybe they haven't been asked in that way about their book. So that's how I try to operate during the interview. If I'm lucky enough to have time with them beforehand, hopefully people get a sense of this, that I try not to take myself too, too seriously. I have a background in humor writing outside of the university. I try to cut it up with people a little bit beforehand before we start, which sometimes is easier than others. And I really feel like as an interviewer, probably the biggest challenge I feel like every time I do an interview is those first three to seven minutes where I'm doing kind of this mental calculus of what does this person need from me to really shine in this interview? Does this person need me to be more present in the conversation and interject more and even talk a little bit longer when I'm setting up a question? Or is this a person I can stick a microphone in front of for 30 minutes and they're just going to go and I just need to pop my head in like every three or four minutes to say, hey, what about this thing? And then go again. And so that's always interesting because you really deal with a lot of different people and a lot of different comfort levels and a lot of different needs. Because my job as an interviewer, I feel like in the end, especially as an interviewer for this kind of show, I'm not, you know, an investigative journalist. I'm trying to showcase what these people do. So my job is to let them shine in the best possible light and trying to figure out how much do you need from me as an interviewer to do that? And each person is different in terms of how much they need in general. And I think probably how they feel on that given day, how excited they are about being there or not. So trying to tease that out, I think is a really important skill. Well, and I imagine it's a it's an intuition that you kind of develop over time that, you know, there have been instances where, okay, this is my guess about what they need. All right, that totally backfired. That's not usable. I can't use that answer. Let me let me try and salvage this conversation. I imagine you've had some of those stories. Probably the biggest help for me in doing this is the background in radio. And even I always say to people, like, I have a background in writing and I have a background in broadcast. And any kind of writing, just like any kind of interviewing, I think makes you better at this sort of thing. So when I used to go, when I was out of college covering high school basketball games for a regional radio sports network, and I would have to do a pregame coaches interview on a handheld cassette recorder that we'd then hook up and play, you know, for three minutes before the game started. All those experiences of, I mean, it's very different than what I'm doing now, but in a lot of ways, it's the same. It's okay, I don't want to ask this high school basketball coach the same exact question he or she has been asked a billion times. What are the keys to the game, coach? Like, you know, your team seemed to have a lot of energy, coach. How do you, like, so you're trying to think of different ways, maybe to end up getting the same answers, but different ways to talk to people. And most often, I will say with doing this podcast is two of the things I set out to do was, I like going back to the old days of blogging, I believe consistency is really important. So we release a new episode. We're in between seasons right now, but we release a new episode every other Thursday. So that's always there. So you know that it comes out on those days. I also, with a couple exceptions, 
all episodes are between 30 and 35 minutes. So you know what I'm asking you for. If you sign up to subscribe to this, this is how long the episodes are going to be. More often than not, I find myself having to go back to remove things where I spent too long asking a question. And I spent too long explaining myself before I asked the question saying like, no, actually what you're giving me is a pretty good answer here. Very occasionally, and I'm having a hard time anything even coming to mind now, have I had to take anything out where I just thought, you know, maybe this isn't the best fit for the show. Certainly when it's not a personal podcast and you're representing your employer, there might be times where you think like, okay, maybe that's not the best thing to have there. I, Like I said, I'm struggling to come up with an example of that. But most of the time it's editing to length and editing to maximize the amount of time that they hear from the guest. <laughs> don't hear from this this random guy who works at Notre Dame that they're like, okay, I guess he facilitated a good conversation. So, Well, and I'm really curious where in the process you kind of come to the clarity of this is what the main thrust of this episode is going to be about. Because I know for me, whenever I'm kind of framing out the finished episode, the final kind of created thing, the interview plays a big role in that. But I also am trying to shape a story, right? I'm trying to, to key listeners into specific things or specific things that we talk about. Where does that fall for you? Is it as you're coming up with the questions and interviewing the guest and saying, okay, I think this is like the point of this episode, or is it after the fact, you know, maybe you discover something that you weren't expecting in the interview. And so you're like, okay, this is, this is going to be the thing that's kind of the, the pinnacle or the anchor point for this episode. How does that work in your mind? How do you, how do you go through that workflow? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think it's those two things. I think it's when I'm coming up with the questions, I really try to think about, what do I want to ask about that I feel like would make for a compelling interview, would make for a compelling audio? And because, again, I, I feel really fortunate the people I've gotten to talk to. And there's typically, there are people who have done a number of different things. And I know in a 30 to 35 minute interview, okay, well, we're not going to get to all of those. So I'm trying to tease out what do I think others would find most interesting. And I try to use myself as, as a barometer of that. What do I think people would find most interesting? I really try to, I really spend a lot of time thinking about my first question I'm going to ask because I think, I feel especially, you know, if you're talking to someone about a book, for instance, there's certain questions you kind of can fall into that are interesting, but maybe aren't the thing to lead the episode with. One thing I do with authors, I always ask them to read an excerpt from their book that I've picked before we start, because I like letting people almost like a mini reading, like you're in a bookstore, hear the book in that person's voice. And then I, I really try to think about that first question is framing either what I think is maybe one of the most interesting things we could talk about, trying to lead with that, or in the case of a book, trying to frame, okay, I'm assuming person listening to this, you haven't read this whole book. So I'm going to let this person read an excerpt from it. I am going to do my best to summarize what this book is in my follow-up to that. And I'm going to do that in 40 words. So you have just a frame of reference like, okay, this is what we're talking about. These are the main players in the book. And write my questions in a way that show enough of what the book's about. So as someone listening, you get excited about it and want to read it. And you don't just feel lost and think, okay, well, I haven't read this book. So, you know, what do I care? The other piece of it then where I really think about, since it is, you know, I, I don't cut up the audio in terms of, all right, you said this at the 28-minute mark, I'm going to pull it up to the 10-minute mark or whatever. I mean, other than condensing to hit my target length, I don't do any editing of moving things around that way. But where I really think about the story I want to come away with it is I really spend a lot of time writing my intro 
voiceover and what I want to say and what I want to say about the interview ahead of time and pulling out you know, I'm a big fan of the list of three. I think every, there's something very, you know, appealing about that on a kind of subconscious level. So here's some major themes we hit on. I try to write them again in a way that isn't just, I try to have fun with it and try to be creative with it and try and do it in a way that maybe, I don't know, maybe you out there think maybe Notre Dame doesn't seem like the most loosey-goosey fun place in the world. And I want to I want to chip away at that a little bit and have fun with what I'm doing. So I think about it there in terms of how I write the intro and then certainly with how I promote it on social, how I talk about it from our Twitter when when I talk about the show is I really try to think about what was one of the more interesting things we talked about or one of the quirkier things we talked about and in the titling of the episodes as well because I have, from the beginning, I have had fun with the titling of my episodes. I start them all almost like Friends did with the one with da-da-da-da-da. All my episodes start with the word on, and then it's on whatever. And I almost intentionally try to, I mean, it's all related to the episode, but almost look for things that could almost be like non sequiturs to put in that title. I mean, the very first episode I ever did was with a sleep researcher, and I called it On Sleep and Sabertooth Tigers because there was a line in there where she talked about you know, we were talking about anxiety and its role with sleep and, you know, our prehistoric ancestors, they probably need to be a little anxious. So if the saber tooth tiger was coming around the corner, you knew to be like, oh my gosh, I need to get away from that. And it wasn't the focus of what we talked about, but I knew with the alliteration and saber tooth sleep and saber tooth tiger, okay, what, like, I want you to look at it and say, well, what's that? Like, okay, I want to listen to that because what that, what that is. So I think it's some in the in the pre-interview prep with the questions and then a lot in terms of thinking about just how I'm going to package it in a way that would be intriguing or engaging. And because I really, in addition to feeling lucky about the guests that I have, I know everyone, especially now, and it's only going to become more so, you have so many options for how you spend your time consuming content. And it's a privilege for me if you give me that half an hour. So I'm trying to do whatever I can to make it fun and make it interesting and frankly try to stand out so you click play and, and, and try it once. So, Well, there's a lot of great gems in there. A couple I want to hone in on. So when you were talking about coming up with your intro and how you're going to introduce the guest and the things you want to talk about, you made this this point about making it as, as not scripted feeling as possible because the temptation is to just make it sound like a bullet list. A list of bullet points like, okay, we're going to talk about this, then we're talking about this, and here's the next signpost, and here's the next mile marker. And it's like, all right, cool, I can read an index too. And, and that was something I had to, had to learn when I was getting into doing these interview shows because that's like, that's the comfort zone is, well, I can read off of a page. So I can spend 30 minutes coming up with words to say, read it and feel really great, but it comes off as very robotic. So I have found that to be very powerful too, just making sure that the whole feel of the episode is consistent. And so if your interview is conversational, you want all your narrated sequences to be conversational as well. Otherwise, it's like, wait, 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 what? Are you reading the intro to a, you know, a 60 minutes segment or are you, you know, talking about this guest? So I think that's really key. And I like that you do that for sure. And that definitely came across when I was listening to your episodes. And then the other thing that I wanted to talk about was using the secret weapon that is curiosity. Because I think one of the one of the hardest things as a podcaster is, you know, especially when you're talking to academics or people that are very, very intellectually stimulating, it's like, how do I make this engaging and not make this dry? And you could think, well, what's the juiciest way to ask these questions? Or how do I make this not a lecture? 
But the thing that I think is universal, no matter who you're talking to or what kind of podcast you have, is if you can generate some sort of curiosity, whether it's in the title, the intro, how you introduce the guest, you know, in some way kind of pique someone's interest and say, oh, I want to know more. I, I want to see how this resolves. I want to see where this goes. I want to understand the link between sleep and saber-toothed tigers because I would not have guessed that there is one. So maybe there's something here that's interesting that would be worth discovering. Have you found that to be a useful tool for you when you're thinking, how do I make this engaging? It's how do I instill curiosity in somebody that's listening? I think that's a really good, that's a really good kind of way to frame it and, and think about it because I... I kind of view myself as the host of an interview podcast. I'm kind of the bridge in some sense. So I have this audience that's listening and I have these people that I'm talking to. And so for the audience that's listening and I'm trying to, you know, I we were talking about this earlier. I'm trying to appeal to an intellectually curious audience. If you weren't intellectually curious, I don't think you would listen to the show. But that's still a really broad range of people. And to be intellectually curious, you don't have to be an expert in any given discipline. You can just like learning things, and I would consider myself in that category. I was an econ major at Notre Dame, but it's been a while since I really spent a lot of time thinking about economics. So I want to do things that are intriguing to those folks, and at the same time when I'm – it's a related but a bit of a different skill with the people that I'm interviewing because – I can make that kind of episode that is going to make you relatable and intriguing to the kind of this general audience, but I don't have to talk in exactly the same way that I talk on Twitter to promote the episode in order to get that kind of conversation I need out of the person that I'm interviewing. And I really think a big part of that for me is, especially when you're dealing with someone who has written a book or has published research or whatever else, is... Part of the reason I like being prepared going in is showing them the courtesy of like, you know, I've whether I got it all or not, I've really made an effort to understand your work and what you're doing and appreciate what you do for what you do, not how it's going to serve me and serve my interests. But let me start from a standpoint of appreciation for what you, the guests, bring to this conversation and I'm going to ask you questions in a way that, I mean, being honest, when you're dealing with I consider myself a smart person. Maybe everyone who knows me wouldn't. I don't know, but I consider myself a smart person. But I'm certainly dealing with people who sometimes you might say they're brilliant minds or they're just, you know, very highly educated, these sorts of things, and really trying to check against the impulse and kind of, you know, your own insecurities of, I don't need to ask these questions in a way that's not true to my voice. Part of what I want to do here is I want to ask these questions in a way that sounds like a human being is asking them. And I'm not going to try and use language or phrasing to try and make myself sound smarter just because I'm aware of how smart you are, the person sitting across from me. And I, I think by doing that, it puts the interview in a space that can work for both someone who might be used to a more disciplinary audience and the person listening who just wants to listen to an interesting podcast episode. So yeah, but it, it does require a lot of thinking about what is going to be interesting to my listeners, what's going to make this an interesting interview for the person I'm talking to, what's going to be that thing that intrigues or pulls in. One of my favorite related to this compliments I've gotten about the show is I have a little bit of a real shocker here, more informal approach to social media than maybe you would typically associate with 
an account from a brand or an institution. But the person who runs the main Notre Dame social account told me at one point, she's like, your voice on Twitter is exactly the voice of your show. Like you've got those two. And to me, that was like, okay, that's a awesome. Thank you for the compliment. And B, that's exactly what I'm trying to go for is that these things can be both interesting and fun. It's not an either or. And I really try to think about that and and keep that in mind. And it's not being so overly concerned that you're kind of parsing every single word like, oh, does this work strategically? And blah, But just kind of that, that general sense of, oh, I, I can trust that I'm a human being and I can relate to other human beings. And by trying to do that as authentically as I can, hopefully it, it produces the, the product that I want to in the end. Well, and I'm curious, how selfish are you with your questions? Like when you're coming up with questions, because you, you mentioned a couple times, you really try and make sure that you're asking the questions your listeners would ask if they were in that situation. I'm curious how many of those questions are just for you, though, that it's like, no, I want to know this about this person, or I want to learn this about this subject. Those do make it in there, I I would say for sure. Sometimes they make it in there for the course of the actual interview, and then if I'm tight on time, it might be the first thing that I cut, because I've felt myself in going back and listening to it. I, I mean, I don't think any of us can be completely objective or indifferent when we're listening to ourselves on a recording. I mean, it's impossible, but I try to step out of myself as much as possible and think, all right, is this really adding to it? Or was this, you know, I would say even more than here's a specific thing that I, Ted, wanted to know personally, it more often comes in with, here's a question I was really excited to ask because I felt like, boy, I really, I really dug into something here and I really crafted it well. And I bet no one's asked them about this thing before. And then either I've misinterpreted his, his description of multiverses or it's something that for whatever reason, the answer, it just kind of fell flat. I didn't ask the question in a way that really worked once I actually heard it. That's more the case where I have to be a little more, you know, trying to take a step back and saying like, okay, why am I, am I keeping this in? Does it actually work? Or was it something that I thought would work really well? And it just, for whatever reason, it didn't. And being okay with, it's like the old Kurt Vonnegut thing, you know, kill your darlings when you, with your, I think it was Kurt Vonnegut that said that, I could be wrong, but kill your darlings in your writing. You have to be able to walk away from things that you really like sometimes. And it's difficult, but I try to, having that time limit does impose, impose some of that on it on it for me to try and cut to that that window so that makes sense that makes a lot of sense what are your goals for the podcast i'm curious since this isn't necessarily just a personal endeavor it's kind of wrapped up in your job and the goals of the university at large what are kind of the goals for the podcast in general like three years five years from now where do you hope that it is so i mean kind of our our reason for being is we really want to again you know, thinking of people listening to this show, I think if you ask people, University of Notre Dame, what are the first things that come to mind? I'd be willing to bet 95% of them, 98% of them, one of the first two would be football and the other of the first two would be Catholic. I mean, those would be, that's what we tend to find time over time. And we're known for those things for good reason. And I'm certainly, you know, by not focusing on those things explicitly, certainly not trying to devalue them at all, but we also are, we're a university and we really want to raise and continue to raise the profile of kind of our academic enterprise writ large. And one of the ways that we feel we can do that is by not only talking about what our own faculty do, but engaging with 
the broader intellectual community. And that's why it was my boss's idea. This wasn't my idea. My idea, I came up with the concept for the show and had the proposal, everything to the, the name, the brunch thing. This is how I'm going to do it. And I'm going to talk to Notre Dame faculty members. And he looked at me and said, okay, cool. Why would anyone not from Notre Dame ever want to listen to that? And I just kind of sat there like, oh, yeah, it's a really good question. I don't know. I don't know how I'd answer that. So then I kind of I went back and tweaked a little and had the thought of, well, you know, not only do we have our faculty here, but we have so many interesting people that come through here for lectures. They come through for conferences. They're here for a residential fellowship, something like that. And if you don't have the opportunity to happen to hear them speak at the lecture they give, or if you're not also a fellow at our Institute for Advanced Study the same time that this person from Oxford or MIT is there, you'd never even know they were here. You don't have access to that information or their talents while they've been here. So that was my thought. I was like, okay, I can broaden this just beyond these folks at Notre Dame and talk to people who are physically here but aren't long-term part of our community and then, you know, putting on your strategic marketing cap because let's be honest, like I, I, I work in communications for a brand, for an institution. The idea then is that, okay, if I have this person on from, I'll say MIT because they've been a great partner on this. I want to shout them out for that. They're College of the Humanities there. I really appreciate it. I had on a woman who was actually the only time I've had someone who was still in the process of writing their dissertation. And I think she's defending this summer. Her name is Claire Kim. And we did this whole episode about the history of math in the 20th century. And the episodes and that episode, they are about that person and their work. It's not about, and kind of backing up, we were talking about questions. The one set of questions I purposefully do not ever ask is anything along the lines of, Tell me why you decided to come study at Notre Dame. Tell me why you think this conference makes sense at Notre Dame. Tell me what you think about the environment at Notre Dame. Because while I'm trying to raise the profile, and in the intro to the show, I say, from the University of Notre Dame, this is with a side of knowledge, I very consciously stop talking about Notre Dame after that tagline, because it's about the person and their work. And for us, in terms of our own interest is, okay, if we can be associated with this really smart person, that's awesome. And it's even better when, because I did an episode about Claire Kim, historian of math, not Claire Kim, person in residence at Notre Dame, MIT then shares the episode through their, you know, their, their school of the humanities. And so in that sense, we're trying to grow the network of people then that pay attention to us and even just have that flicker of name recognition that they think Notre Dame, oh, I heard that really smart person talking about that thing on a podcast that they did. And that, so for me, in terms of you know, kind of Notre Dame stake in it, why I do it as part of my job. That's why I do it. For me personally, I just, I love making it. I really love making the show. I love talking to the people that I get to talk to to do this. I always joke to people, I found a way to get paid to take people out to brunch and record it, which seems like an incredible scam. So I'm going to do it as long as, as long as they let me do it. And just trying to you know, grow the listenership. And because that's another, I mean, it's a great way for any podcaster to feel really insecure as you look at your listener numbers and be like, oh, they, you know, they should be better. Why aren't more people checking it out? And, you know, I enjoy the strategy of that and trying to engage with people and trying to build it. So just in terms of the podcast specifically, I, I, you know, I just hope it keeps growing. And I hope that the people who 
who listen to it find it a value add in their life, really. I mean, I hope that it's something that you just enjoy listening to and it adds to kind of this whole mix of great content that we see from so many different different places. Now, I'm just trying to do something that can be a part of someone's personal playlist and something that they like listening to. I think those are great goals. Well, I got one last question for you and then we'll then we'll wrap up. If you came across a time machine that could take you back in time to the day before you started your podcast and you had enough time to give yourself one piece of advice, what would you say to yourself? I'm going to cheat a little bit and say something that I've heard you talk about with one of your previous guests. And I think it may have been the very first episode of the standalone pod that you're doing for this now. But I think it's really applicable because I've struggled with this some. And it's knowing that the show in episode one and the decisions that I make in episode one don't have to drive every single decision I make for the life of the show. Because I think it's real easy to say, well, I told people I'm going to do this thing this way. And if I deviate from that, then that's a huge problem. And I think it's the kind of thing that if you stay too much in your own head, it really can feel that way. I mean, that being said, I haven't changed a ton about the show since I started. I did get a lot more aggressive in season two of realizing I could take out people's uhs and ums and things like that more. And I was like, okay, that seems like I saw the person who does digital for fresh air tweeting about that. But it was something like, I'm like a vacuum sucking up people's uhs and ums from their interviews and said, okay, it's probably something I could do for people. I said, okay, I'll start doing that. But I'm exploring doing some episodes where we have the oldest zoo in the state of Indiana is here. And they seem interested in doing it. So I'm hoping to do it this summer where I'm going to do an episode at the zoo. And I'm just going to go around with the director of education, whoever else, and we're, we're getting a white rhino here this summer and, you know, talk about the animals and try and put people in that, not that anyone hasn't been to a zoo before, but just the experience of like going around and like, all right, what, you know, what, what can you tell me about these four tigers that we have here, that kind of thing. And I'm comfortable enough in what we've been doing that it's like, okay, it's okay that the brunch podcast that we always don't do a brunch episode. My most downloaded episode I've ever had was with Marilyn Robinson, who's the Pulitzer winner for a book called Gilead. And I actually recorded it in this room where I'm recording this right now because I asked her, you know, okay, this is where I take people for brunch. You know, we'll go do that. And it's like, no, she, does, she doesn't want to do that. And I could have gotten really kind of, no, this is the format of the show and I can't deviate from that. And I said, okay, like, can I get you a cup of coffee beforehand? Yeah, we'll, we'll do that. So we got, and it, I mean, one of the best episodes I've done because of who she is, but was an awesome experience for me to do. And I think if I had been too rigid in the, no, the show has to be a certain way for it to work or to keep it on brand or whatever, then I would have missed a really great opportunity. So I think allowing ourselves that ability to, if you're always putting your listener in mind and putting your listener and thinking about, okay, what would be interesting for them to hear? And do I think they would enjoy something like this? I think it's, it's hard to go wrong. And that gives you some flexibility to say, okay, you know, maybe let's, we'll try something different out now. And if it doesn't work, then I'll go back to, you know, doing what I was doing before. So I thought that was really good advice that you guys gave on that, on that episode. And I, I would say that would be something that be a little less hard on myself, I guess in general would be what I would tell myself before day one. I would tell myself that now too, but <laughs> If you are someone who loves to learn and has an intellectual curiosity that doesn't discriminate, you just love learning about everything, 
then make sure to check out With a Side of Knowledge at provost.nd.edu slash podcast. I know it's a mouthful, so I'll put it in the show notes as well. And also, you can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Do you wish that you could be featured on a future episode of Podcasting in Real Life, sitting across from me over the internet? Well, you can. All you have to do is click on the link in the show notes, fill out a short form, and you can submit your application to appear on a future episode. And if today's episode inspired you or resonated with you, made you laugh, made you cry, I would love to hear your feedback. We're always looking for ways to make the shows better, to make the episodes more engaging, more helpful for you. And so if you have any feedback, please let me know. You can either leave a review in Apple Podcasts or just shoot me a message or you know post something in the Buzzsprout Podcast community on Facebook. And then don't forget, we're doing this every single week now. On Friday, two days from when this episode gets posted, I'm going to be answering Ted's number one question about podcasting. And if you conduct long distance interviews like I do, you're definitely going to want to listen closely to that one. But that is it for today. Thanks for listening. And as always, keep podcasting. <laughs>